Just another day in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Well, with one difference, a man decided to climb a skyscraper, and he made it, 844 feet above the ground. But police met him at the top. Maison Deschamps was arrested on Tuesday at the top of the 50-story Devon Tower. He's charged with trespassing and disorderly conduct. The climb was recorded on his Instagram account as he was followed by a drone. Authorities have the drone operator in custody as well. This is not the first building Deschamps has scaled. In May, he scaled buildings in New York and San Francisco. When asked why he pulls off such stunts, the climber responded that he's trying to bring awareness to pro-life issues. The lives of the unborn should be important to us all. They are made in God's image. And the Lord is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Welcome to Haven Today here on Friday. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus as we wrap up a series called Before I Go. To Telestai. You ever hear that word? Well, if you haven't, I know you've heard its English translation. It's a single word in Greek, but in your Bible it becomes three words. It is finished. It's not an apathetic resignation that Jesus had had enough. It's a triumphant declaration that his suffering has achieved what it was meant for. And we're going to ponder these final words on this program today. Final and significant words. And before we do that, I want you to meet a new friend of mine who will share with us how a chance encounter on an airplane led to him better understanding Christ's death and those words spoken on that Friday afternoon. If what Christians say about Easter is true, then in the words of Jesus Christ at Calvary, it is quite simply the truth about everything. That's Laurie Gillespie. He's originally, as you can tell, from Scotland, But he lives in Canada now, Vancouver, and he'll be back to share how some significant words with the man sitting next to him on a plane was used by the Lord to help him better understand the death of Christ. And speaking of significant words, we hear from so many people how our programs and this ministry are a blessing day in and day out. I'd like to invite you to now be a blessing to Haven Ministries by making a fiscal year-end tax-deductible gift. I want to send you the new book, if you'd like, about Queen Elizabeth, the book that's called Our Faithful Queen, 70 Years of Faith and Service. And as you read through this book and enjoy the photos of the Queen through the years, I know you will be inspired by her praying and her speaking that illustrate how her Christian faith has sustained her and the ups as well as the downs that she has faced. We have this new book in both our U.S. and Canadian warehouses for your gift to Haven Today. And remember, you can't get it at a bookstore or on Amazon in North America. You just need to call us after the program at 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. Or better yet, read the sample pages for the book and give on our website at haventoday.org. Haven Today. And now let's start the program with City Alight.
go. The name of this haven today, I'm Charles Morris. That was It Was Finished Upon That Cross by City of Light. And what I want to do now, before we go and look more closely at the final words of Christ on the cross, significant words, I want to meet up with a new friend. We met at a country club outside Vancouver, British Columbia. His name is Laurie Gillespie, and he's the retired president of Roland Canada. That's the famous keyboard maker. And I wanted to talk to him about what happened to him that changed his spiritual life and was of great significance to him on an airplane a few decades ago. You had an amazing experience on an airplane. I did. It's worth sharing. Would yes. you Would you mind sharing that story with me now? 
I would, I would love to share it. And the uh, story takes place, give you some context on an aeroplane at uh, beginning at six o'clock in the morning a.m. in Vancouver time. And uh, I had been up since 4.30 just to be ready to be at work in Denver uh, three or four hours later. And while I was sitting on the airplane, I had engaged myself in reading a Christian book and felt as though I might have an opportunity to engage someone. But today was different. I was really tired and decided I really wasn't going to speak to anyone. And you have to excuse me, Lord, but I really don't have uh, the desire this morning. And I'm, not, I'm able, but I'm not willing to, uh, to speak uh, this morning. So I waited to see who was coming to sit next to me. And the last person to come on the plane, I looked down the aisle of the plane, and it was an immaculately dressed uh, man of God. And he came down, and I stood up and, and introduced him to his seat, and he sat down, and I, I proceeded then to hide my book and to say, oh, well, really, Lord, I don't want to engage you right at the moment. And suddenly I found that this man was really the man that God had sent to engage me. And he was the one who then said, how are you? And, 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 and spoke to me and dealt with me in a way that I felt just drawn in. He said to me, you know, we've, we've enjoyed now our exchange of faith. And I, I was outed by him. He asked me and we exchanged, yes, I do love the Lord Jesus. And, and he said, oh, me too. And, uh, and he said, you know, you should read uh, one of my books. And I said, well, which one of your books do you think I should read? And he said to me, well, I think you should begin with Death on a Friday Afternoon. So I asked and I said, uh, so where would I get your death on a Friday afternoon? And he turned around and he looked at me very calmly and straight and said, anywhere, anywhere. Well, that was a bit much, but I was starting to wake up now to who this person might be. This might be someone that God has sent, and I need to find this death on a Friday afternoon. So I, uh, I get out of the uh, airplane, and I know that uh, 50 yards to my right-hand side on W.H. Smith, there's a big W.H. Smith in the Denver airport. It's still there. And I went in and I asked the lady at the counter, now, where can I find this gentleman's book? And she said, well, if you go just over there, you'll find he has a whole section of his books. Well, now I was uh, impressed. I was humanly impressed at this point because I had seen so much that he had done and put out. So I bought the book and I started to read the books. The book was fundamentally on the last words of Christ and it dealt with them in a context that I had never heard before and the Holy Spirit was about to use this to change my life's direction just slightly but moved more into what might be the Spirit's will or the Spirit's direction in my life. And uh, as I read the book, the most impressive parts of the book to me was uh, um, where he was able to say, if, if what Christians say about Easter is true, then in the words of Jesus Christ at Calvary, it is quite simply the truth about everything. Now, just let that settle in on you for a moment because it took a little while to settle in on me. In fact, it took me years to really understand what was being said and what was being done at Calvary for me. So this man marked my life and I had no idea that he was someone that God had put into my life. And that for now, this has become a book in our family that we have shared more than any other more than any gospel tract that we did as, as young people when we were, we were uh, in zealous for Christ and zealous for, for God. And this book has turned us into, uh, into givers of, of this uh, very important message that uh, if what we do at Easter is true, it's quite simply the truth about everything. 
And so I thank God now uh, for great men who are put beside me that I really don't know and don't see. I am thankful for the fact that sometimes I don't engage and the Spirit decides, now I'm going to engage you. When you're at your weakness, when you're at your most human, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change your life. And may that happen to all of us today. And may we be able to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So thank you, Lord, for great men and a greater spirit. Mm. Lori Gillespie, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Well, I'm so thankful that we got this time with Lori Gillespie. This is Haven Today Before I Go, and I'm Charles Morris. And let's now turn to the scriptures. As Christ was on the cross, we know he endured the full range of suffering. He suffered the shame of exposure. He suffered ridicule and hatred, and he suffered the physical pain of abuse, the emotional anguish of abandonment. And we Christians believe he suffered the wrath of God against sin. And after all this, he uttered one single word, to Tetelestai. It's one word in Greek, but we translate it into three. It is finished there in John 19. It's not an apathetic resignation that he's finally had enough. It is a triumphant declaration that his suffering has achieved what it was meant for. It is finished. That means the hatred, the scorn, and the suffering did not have the final word. But Jesus' love through all these pains has accomplished our salvation. We call that day Good Friday. It was on that day that Jesus finished the work he came to do. On our weekday program, we've been looking at famous last words throughout the Bible, and there is no better place to land than Jesus' famous final words from the cross. He didn't just say, it is finished. There are at least seven final words of Jesus, last sayings he gave us before he died. And even then, it wasn't the end for him, because after his resurrection, we have other famous last words before he ascended. But for his disciples, those who were there when he was betrayed and handed over to be crucified as a Roman insurrectionist, these were Jesus' final words before his death. And in these last words, we find a picture of what it means to die well and what it means to follow Christ. As those Roman soldiers were scorning Jesus, ridiculing him, beating him on the cross, and before they nailed him on the cross, Jesus turned to his father in prayer and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Just like Paul said later in Corinthians, if they had known Jesus was the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have crucified him. But Jesus not only says these soldiers and those who hated him were acting in ignorance, he prayed for their forgiveness. And it shows us the kind of Savior we serve. He isn't just praying for retaliation as they killed him. He's praying for their salvation. Father, forgive them. Why? Because they didn't know what they were doing and who they were doing it to. And after this, Jesus gave a promise to a criminal. The Roman soldiers were killing him in ignorance, but the two men on either side being crucified with him knew what they did was wrong. One of them even made fun of Jesus, but the other begged for mercy. And that's when Jesus turned to him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. A criminal? Maybe he was also an insurrectionist. 
The text in Luke 23 isn't clear, but what is clear is that he knew who Jesus was, and Jesus was willing to save him. Famous last words. Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about others and welcoming others into his heavenly kingdom, paradise. And that promise of today stands for all of us as well. When we turn to Christ in faith, he welcomes us at that very moment. It's never too late. Jesus wasn't thinking about paradise after death, though. He was thinking about his mother, too, his earthly family. And there in John 19, it tells us that Jesus made sure his mother would be cared for after his death. He called over one of his disciples, probably John, the youngest, and he looked at Mary, his mother, and he said, Behold your son. And to his disciple, probably John, he said, Behold your mother. What a powerful image. Jesus breathing some of his final breaths, looking around at the world, making sure to take care of those he loved, the ignorant sinning against him, the repentant sinner, and even his own mother. And then Jesus said something that might at first seem like he's only thinking about himself. He cried out to God with the opening line of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yes, Jesus was experiencing terrible suffering on the cross. But if the first three of his final sayings were all about others, I think we need to stop and see if maybe this one was as well. One theologian puts it this way. When Jesus cried out those words, he was bringing to the Father all of the suffering of those who suffer injustice. We need to remember that Jesus was innocent. No reason to crucify him. In Luke's account, he makes sure to tell us four times that Jesus did nothing to deserve his death. But there he was, being killed on the cross unjustly. And in that suffering, he cries out for all those who suffer, even when they don't deserve it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not only about Jesus suffering in our place for our sins, It's also about Christ showing us he understands what it feels like to suffer when you know you don't deserve to suffer. Believers like Job and Joseph in the days of Israel show us what that's like. And some of us know more what it's like than others today. Jesus knows what it's like. And he cried out to the Father to show us it's okay to feel that way. And he shows us that he's with us even when we feel at a loss. He was suffering injustice. He was caring for his family, praying for the salvation of even his enemies, and he was thirsty. So they brought him sour wine vinegar to drink, and in that moment, the book of Hebrews' phrase should jump out. He tasted death for us all. His final words of thirst weren't just about getting a drink for himself. They were showing us what he was willing to endure. He tasted death for us, for our salvation. And then he gave up his spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Another Old Testament reference, the final words of Christ on the cross before he died. And in all this, he was facing us. And he wasn't suffering for himself. He was suffering for you and me. His love brought him to the cross. And before he died, he made sure that we know that. This is the Christ we follow. 
a Christ who prays for his enemies while they do harm to him, a Christ who welcomes the broken sinner no matter how close to death they might be, a Christ that takes care of his family and knows what it's like to suffer injustice, a Christ that tasted death for us and then went to the Father to begin preparing a place for all those who would come to him. The famous final words of Jesus reminding us that he is a savior and a friend to sinners. And it challenges us in our daily walk. How do we face the world as warriors trying to conquer it for our own interests, as enemies condemning it at every turn, or as compassionate followers of Jesus who showed us that praying for your enemies and loving your enemies is the right way, the cross way the way of divine love. So turn to Jesus, follow him, embrace the salvation he finished. And then in the resurrection, we get to see him face to face and be with him in paradise. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our hope? confidence that our souls to him belong who holds our days within his hand what comes apart from his command and what will keep us till the end the love of Christ in which we stand Sing hallelujah Our hope springs eternal Oh, sing hallelujah Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death Unto the grave what shall we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy. Keith and Kristen Getty, Christ, our hope in life and death. One of those great hymns that they are so well known for here on this Haven Today. 
where we've looked at final words from our Savior. Words we can bank on and trust in by faith alone. He has finished everything we need for salvation and the forgiveness of sin. And that's why we call it the good news. Christians have been sharing it for the last 2,000 years. And sometimes we're surprised by some really well-known people who share the gospel in their own way. And of course, I'm thinking about Queen Elizabeth. And as you read the new book, Our Faithful Queen, 70 Years of Faith and Service, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how much she has spoken publicly about her king and her savior. The book was written for Platinum Jubilee this year, and it reflects her faithful service to her people. But it also shows from many of her speeches and prayers that she wants to point people to Jesus. This book will inspire you as you get an inside look at her faith and service. Call us right now, would you? Make your gift. Be as generous as you can. Make your tax-deductible fiscal year-end gift to Haven today. And the number to call is 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. And remember, you can't get this book on Amazon or at a bookstore in North America. We have them shipped directly to us from the UK. You can even read part of this book by visiting our website and make your fiscal year-end gift there. Go to haventoday.org, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to also thank Lori Gillespie for joining us as well and sharing his spiritual experience that led him to know more of the final words of Christ. Won't you come back again next time when again we get to share together this great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Have you ever felt powerless on this fallen planet? There's so much suffering, war and disease in this world. It can be overwhelming. And then there's our sin. We deserve only the condemnation of a holy God. In 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saw his enemies closing in around him but he knew that the Lord was his strength. So he prayed, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good description of the Christian life. We're powerless, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on God. We will see his salvation. Get started with Anchor Devotional today. Visit GetAnchor.com.